Lori Vallow Daybell has returned to jail and is ready to face the consequences of her alleged crimes. She was in court today to be arraigned on her charges. Chad Daybell's attorney and the prosecution continue to argue over change of venue. everybody and welcome to True Crime Paranormal with the Psychic Sisters. This is Katie Weaver and I'm here with my sister, co-host and partner in crime, Christy Brower. Hello. Hello. Hey everybody. How's it going? Uh, it's good. Um, got a massage today. Can't beat that. Yeah. Can't beat that. Cannot. Plus we also got to see Lori in court today so can't beat that either. Really can't. It's been interesting. It's been a very interesting day. It really has. So this is a little different episode. We are not going to do segments today. We're just going to focus on Daybell Vallow because there's a lot. Mm -hmm. And as promised, we have been uh, keeping as updated as humanly possible today so that we could, uh, or yesterday, this all happened on Tuesday. This is our Wednesday edition. However, we are recording it Tuesday night, to be fair. Uh, But there's been a lot going on today. So we've kept um, our eyes peeled and I'm sure you guys have as well. But uh, we have two things that we want to uh, bring to you. So the first thing we're going to watch is the opening uh, arguments this morning in the uh, belligerent turd circus. I don't know why this is playing already. The belligerent turd circus known as uh, Chad in court. (laughs) So, of course, this is uh, Mr. Pryor arguing with the uh, prosecution over change of venue. So this is kind of the last stand in change of venue uh, as we know it. Mm -hmm. Though, you know, now that Lori's spiffed up and back to court, we're going to see some changes and we'll get to that later. But this is how we see it right now. So here's the thing. We're going to show you the first 11 minutes and 43 seconds. It was a three hour long ordeal. It was grueling. It was boring. It was a lot of whining on Pryor's part. You'll pretty much get to see him show his whole ass in the uh, first 11 minutes. Uh, Also, Rachel Smith uh, argued today and she was awesome. My absolute favorite part was when she said that Chad Daybell already chose venue when he chose to murder and bury children and his wife on his land in Fremont County. (laughs) Go Prosecutor Smith. Yes. So again, we're not going to show you the whole thing because it's three hours long and no one's going to sit through that, I promise. And Mm. you'll see enough, I think, in this first 11 minutes to pretty much know how things went down today. There was no ruling. The judge is going to go through, of course, everything that everyone has submitted and uh, present a written ruling here in the next few weeks. So there, there's not a lot to know, but I think you'll enjoy the opening statements well enough. Yep. Well, All right. Without further ado. Send. Yeah. All right, we'll be on the record. This is case CR 2221-1623, State of Idaho versus Chad Guy Daybell. Mr. Daybell is here represented by counsel, Mr. Pryor. How do we reach a younger generation? The coolest thing through Google is having this see what's in store option. It'll pop up and say, hey, this is within, you know, three miles of you. And that is huge for us. Check out this verbo. Oh, man. Michael, they're your cousins. Look at me. Here I am. Uh, the state is here today with their prosecutors, I believe. Um, 
Ms. Smith, are you making an argument today on the case? Yes, Your Honor. All right, Rachel Smith will be providing argument. This is the time scheduled on a motion hearing. Uh, in this case, there was a order of the court that was uh, entered in regards to the location for the trial in this matter, which the court determined would be in Ada County. Thereafter, the court uh, requested additional time to present information on a request to sequester a jury and transport them to Fremont County under Idaho Code 1918-16. Matter has been set for hearing on occasions and continued and is now scheduled for hearing today. So uh, at this time then, I'll ask the parties if they're ready to proceed. Ms. Smith, are you ready to proceed on your motion? And we'll style this as uh, a motion to reconsider the court's decision. Are you ready to proceed with argument? Yes, Your Honor. All right, Mr. Pryor, are you ready to proceed? Judge, just as a preliminary matter, uh, the state provided me uh, uh, modified numbers as of uh, 748 last night by email. Obviously, I didn't get an opportunity to review those. We are ready to proceed, but I want to make a record that at this time, the numbers on the exhibit that were originally provided to me have now been changed, um, and that new numbers are being uh, presented to this court. And, and, uh, I just want to make clear that I didn't get those until uh, 10 minutes before 8 last night by email and looked at those this morning. Thank you, Judge. All right. Thank you, Mr. Pryor. We'll consider that in the context of the hearing. Uh, for those that are in attendance of the hearing today, I'll just note that we did issue an order governing courtroom conduct, and that will be in effect and enforced. So um, cell phones are to be turned off during these proceedings. If we hear a cell phone uh, go off, then expect it to be confiscated pursuant to the court's order. Uh, we just needed to have that to maintain order in the court as we've transitioned from being remote on Zoom hearings, going back to in-person live hearings, I've just noticed a pattern of cell phones going off in courtroom proceedings, which I've experienced as late as yesterday during court proceedings. And so in order to maintain order, uh, we found it necessary to have that restriction in place. And I appreciate everyone in complying with that. So at this time, uh, we'll also advise those people that are here uh, in the hearing that when the hearing is concluded, please remain seated uh, until Mr. Daybell, the defendant's been escorted at the direction of the bailiffs in charge of the courtroom and uh, don't leave the courtroom until you're advised by courthouse security here to do so. So at this time then, Ms. Smith, if you're ready to present argument in support of your motion, you can do so. You can either start with a opening statement if you'd like, or you may proceed with the calling of witnesses. Thank you, Your Honor. Um, as a brief matter, the state would just um, outline what we expect the evidence in the state's argument to be. Um, as a preliminary matter, thank you for the opportunity to allow the state to present the economic impact on Fremont and Madison County for a change of venue in um, Ada County. Um, the statute um, under Idaho Code 19-1816, the court is allowed, and I, I know the court's well aware, that you are allowed to consider whether it's more economical to transport the jury to the county of origin than to try the entire case in Ada. And the state today is going to present four witnesses to you, which give you information that allows you to um, consider transporting the jury from Ada to Fremont County. We recognize and respect that the court has already established one part of Idaho Code 19-1816, which the court has found that a fair jury cannot be found in Fremont County. While the state respectfully disagrees, we understand the court's position. We are asking you now then to balance the interest of the defendant in a fair trial, and you've done that. You've decided that a jury in Ada would be better equipped to hear and consider the evidence. Now we're asking you to bear, balance the state's interest in um, a proceeding with fiscal responsibility, to proceed with the opportunity to have the case in the jurisdiction where the crimes occur. And the state's position is the defendant picked venue when the bodies were hidden on his property and when he killed Tammy Daybell. And because of that, the case should be tried in that jurisdiction. You will hear from the people responsible for trying the case here, for helping the court administer justice, that they believe they can accomplish both the goal of giving the defendant a fair trial 
and allowing the citizens of Fremont access to the cases in their jurisdiction and allow the taxpayers in Fremont and Madison County to save money. You will hear from Abby Mace, the clerk for Fremont County, who is responsible for budgeting for things like the um, jury sequestration cost, the cost of the court clerk. You will hear from Lieutenant Ruby, who is a witness from Ada County about what cost Ada County will absorb and what costs they will pass on to Fremont County, and what experience, um, if any, Ada County has with dealing with sequestered juries and or transported juries. Then you will hear from Chief Terman, who will discuss the number of witnesses that if the case gets completely transferred to Ada County, will have to um, travel to and or stay in Boise. Um, those numbers you will hear are pretty substantial. Then you will hear from Sheriff Humphreys about his office's ability to handle the manor and what he has to do to budget to handle a case um, either in Fremont County or in Ada County. And as a preliminary matter, I'm going to ask the court to take judicial notice of Mr. Daybell's court file. And specifically, I'm going to ask you to take judicial notice of the state's first discovery response provided to the defense counsel August 12th of 2021. In there, there is an addendum B. Addendum B is the list of witnesses. And on that list of witnesses, the state outlined that there are a, a proposed 104 witnesses. That discovery response is a public document and has been reviewed by the witnesses in this case who can talk sort with the court about the cost of getting people from Fremont or Rexburg, Fremont County or Rexburg to Ada. And that is a factor the court considers in terms of considering the economic impact. So that's uh, the state's position and sort of outline what we expect you to hear this morning. And at this point, if there's no questions from the court, I would like to call Abby Mace. And Judge, I'd like to make a statement as well, given that she was given an opportunity to make a statement. I should be afforded the same courtesy. All right, you can make a statement, Mr. Pryor. I will note that on the request that the court take judicial notice of those pleadings contained in the file, the court will take notice of those pleadings in terms of the issue before the court for today for that limited purpose. So, Mr. Pryor, what's your statement? Judge, I want to uh, take note of the fact that the court issued a memorandum decision, a well-thought-through memorandum decision. I would ask the court to strongly consider that memorandum decision. Together, we lost 40, 40 pounds, pounds on, on Nutrisystem. Nutrisystem. But I really recommend this partner plan because I feel like um, having... ...a decision in this matter. Uh, from my perspective, Judge, this is just a motion to reconsider. That's all it is, and we shouldn't be having that hearing. Uh, I disagree uh, with counsel. The court made the decision already. The court made a decision that venue is going to be in Ada County. The court in its memorandum made a decision that the jury would be selected in Ada County, and the court has not yet made a decision as to whether or not in Ada County, when we have our jury trial in Ada County, that whether or not the jury is going to be sequestered. Now, by issuing a decision in this case that grants the relief the state is seeking, in essence, you've just sequestered the jury. Because, because I can't think of any circumstance where you're going to bring a jury over from Ada County after picking them for two, maybe three weeks in Boise, bring them over here and have an eight to ten week trial, and they're not going to be allowed or permitted to walk freely around the community. They're going to be sequestered in a hotel. And at that point, Judge, uh, you have made a decision in a backhanded way that this uh, jury is going to be sequestered. Now, in regards to their, their motion to, uh, to, to have the court balance the case as it relates to Mr. Daybell's right to a fair trial, and whether or not this is going to cost Fremont County uh, some money, there's no issue there, Judge, because Mr. Daybell is absolutely entitled to a fair and impartial trial. And I'd ask the court to go back and look at its memorandum decision and the way it talked about some of the instances, instances and events that took place in this county and Madison County. And it's not a matter of balancing, Judge. The court can consider the cost, may consider the cost, but that's not the overriding consideration. That's not the consideration that the court uses as its primary consideration as to where to hold this trial. 
And that decision has already been made. The decision has been submitted to the Idaho Supreme Court. It's a done deal. And for them to come back and do this, uh, I think is clearly inappropriate. And I consider it a motion to reconsider. And we shouldn't even be having this hearing. We shouldn't even be presenting this. They had an opportunity to do that many, many months ago. And now they're here grandstanding and saying, guess what? These are all the numbers that we're going to use. And unfortunately, the numbers keep decreasing as we get closer to the hearing, right up until 7.48 last night, when the numbers came down dramatically again. And I shouldn't even be put through this thing because the consideration is whether Chad gets a fair trial. And he's entitled to a fair trial above anything else. So that's how it started. Yeah. <laughs> A few thoughts. First of all, 748 judge, 748. And I have never even had a chance to look at it. Why is it always so appalling to him that he has to do his job? Yeah, he, he definitely likes to whine a lot about just doing what he's paid to do. Or that business at the end that I shouldn't even be put through this. Oh, yeah. This is all you about you, buddy. are not this the mission here. This was discussed way back when the judge did make that, that he would be willing to reconsider if he had the numbers in front of him. And the, and the prosecution said, we will get that to you. And he said, OK. So Pryor right. can whine all he wants about that. But the judge left that door wide open for the prosecution Everybody who heard that hearing, including you and I, know that. We heard him say it. Well, and the last time they were in court about this as well, that he yeah. tried this same tactic and the judge mm -hmm. said, no, I did leave the door open to this. It's not a done deal. Right. I, the way he keeps throwing that back at the judge, I just. <sighs> yeah. Yeah, because he's really misconstruing what the judge said. Because the mm -hmm. judge did leave the door open for, you know, the this information when they could put it together. And, you know, part of the problem was we don't know even know when this is going to happen back then, you know, how, how do we, anyway, it, it's obviously a very complicated set of numbers to put together because they have struggled with this a lot and changed it several times. Mm -hmm. um, I don't think the numbers came down that much. It's still a difference of like $210,000. Well, and they brought four witnesses in today to talk about how much things will cost and why and all of the considerations and things to talk about. We'll see. I'm still really holding space that the judge is going to move this back to Fremont. I know a lot of people think he absolutely won't. We'll find out here in the next couple of weeks. Uh, one of the things that Pryor said that really got to me. Uh, I want to make a statement. She got to make a statement. And if she gets to make a statement, I get to make a statement. Oh, yeah. It sounded like he was in the oh. third grade, not getting his turn. That was some was hardcore one. Very bratty. She had a very prepared statement. And he had obviously no prepared statement. Mm -hmm. He came in here riding blind on that one and just uh, rambled on a bunch of belligerent stuff. It's all he had. Well, and he seemed real agitated. His face was really red. He was stumbling in his speech. Like, yeah, mm -hmm. he wasn't quite pre prepared for that. Well, uh, interesting when the camera panned to uh, Chad after mm -hmm. uh, Prosecutor Smith said what she did about him choosing the venue. Mm -hmm. Boy, not an eyebrow twitch out of him. Nope. He's such a freak, man. Mm -hmm. Ugh. But there at the end when Pryor's like, this is about Chad and Chad getting a fair trial. And, you know, he's doing the whole mm -hmm. like game show presentation of Chad. I was just thinking. If Chad starts nodding, I'm going to be dead. Yeah. <laughs> he didn't. He didn't. He didn't. Nothing. No, yeah. he doesn't anything. And like you were saying in our private chat that uh, mm -hmm. he's obviously had a haircut and a shave and mm -hmm. is wearing a clean shirt and tie. Mm -hmm. Yep. We're, it's an interesting. We yeah. We're well, going to start to see similar things out of Lori because. Yes. They have that right. People may not recognize it, but. They have the right to look presentable and not look like a prisoner mm -hmm. in their court hearings. Mm -hmm. And ever since uh, we've gotten this peak of Lori, all I'm seeing from people is serious bashing on her 
appearance or outrage that her hair is done or outrage that she seems to have makeup on, which um, I would use that term pretty loosely. Did you see it? Yeah. But uh, well, you will, because we're going to play her arraignment next. Mm-hmm. But uh, no one has said a word about the fact that Chad has obviously got a fresh haircut and a fresh shave. Yeah. We're, we're not mad about that. Well, no, because we would expect that. Well, you, you got to expect the same for Lori. You might they not like have, it, but they do have that right. And often their attorneys mm-hmm. will provide them with something to wear. Mm-hmm. Um, Lori very clearly was provided a curling iron because her hair was mm-hmm. curled. Yeah. Um, you know, she did have a little bit of makeup on wherever those glasses came from. Maybe mm-hmm. she needs readers. They look like readers to me. Mm-hmm. I, I um, someone else said they have the exact same pair and they got them at Dollar Tree. So yeah, <laughs> see that's what I, that's what I was thinking. Is they're like a, yeah. a dollar store readers. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. so with that being said, that's what happened this morning in court or, or Tuesday morning in court with uh, the the Daybell matter. And so, again, we'll expect a, a written answer from the judge here in the next week or two, I would imagine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So let's move on mm-hmm. and watch Lori's arraignment. And uh, it's about it's about 20 minutes long. But I figured this is probably one you guys would want to see the whole thing. So yeah. we're going to go ahead and show you the whole enchilada. It's, you know, again, only 20 minutes, but 20 minutes nonetheless. So we'll get her up right here. But Harry and David, we know that giving Thank you, please be seated. All right, who's covering the serene one on behalf of the state today? I will be, Your Honor. All right, thank you, Ms. Blake. Mr. Archibald, you are for the defense, correct? Yes, Your Honor. All right, thank you, Mr. Archibald. This is the time scheduled for an arraignment. This is KCR 22211624, State versus Lori Noreen Ballow. Mr. Archibald and Mr. Thomas represent the defendant. Mr. Archibald, how does your client prefer that I refer to her through this hearing? Mrs. Daybell. Very well, Mrs. Daybell. 
is represented by John Thomas and Jim Archibald for this hearing today and have been appointed on the case. The state is represented by Lindsay Blake and Tanya Rawlings also here for the prosecution. In this case, uh, Mrs. Daybell, my name is Judge Boyce. I'm the district judge presiding over this case in Fremont County and I've been assigned to preside over the case throughout its duration. In a few minutes, I will arraign you on the criminal charges that have been filed against you by the state of Idaho. Before doing that, I'll explain what will happen at this hearing and then advise you of your constitutional rights and plea options. If at any time you need to talk to your attorneys in confidence, please advise the court or them. They'll notify me and we can arrange for you to have a discussion with them off the record and in confidence if you request that. This case uh, began with the filing of an indictment that was issued by a grand jury on May 25th, 2021. That indictment sets forth the criminal charges the state's filed against you. The indictment is not evidence, rather it lists the criminal charges that will be prosecuted by the state of Idaho. Mr. Archibald, have you received a copy of the indictment and reviewed that with your client? Yes, Your Honor. Very well. In a moment then, uh, Mrs. Daybell, I'll advise you of the charges pending against you and explain the penalties associated with those charges. Uh, Mrs. Daybell, the purpose of an arraignment is to have you enter a plea to the charges contained in that information. Therefore, at the end of the arraignment, I'll ask you how you intend to plea. In that regard, you would have three options. Your first option is that you may enter a plea of not guilty. If you elect to plead not guilty, a jury trial and a pretrial conference will be scheduled in your case. Also, by pleading not guilty, you will maintain all of your constitutional rights in this case, and those rights were previously explained to you on May 26, 2021, at your initial appearance before the magistrate. I'll note that on that date, uh, in the record of the case, is a form entitled the Notification of Rights that you had signed and initialed. Do you recall receiving that form and signing it? Very well. Among those rights, and I'll go back through several of those, you do have the right to be presumed innocent in this case. The presumption of innocence is a real and important right which lies at the foundation of our criminal justice system. Therefore, unless you either plead guilty at a later date or the state proves the charges against you beyond a reasonable doubt at trial, the presumption of innocence remains in your case. You also have the right to a speedy and public trial by an impartial jury of your peers, as well as the right to see, hear, confront, and have your attorney question all witnesses who may be called to testify against you. During the pendency of your case and at trial, you also have the right to be represented by an attorney. If you are in custody, you have the right to communicate with your attorney at all stages of your case and reasonable access to communication with your attorneys will be provided. At your trial, you will have the right to present evidence in your defense and the right to subpoena power of the court to compel the attendance of witnesses to testify on your behalf. Finally, if you plead not guilty, you will retain the right to remain silent and exercise the privilege against compulsory self-incrimination. This means that you cannot be required to testify against yourself. However, you may voluntarily take the witness stand if you so choose, but you cannot be compelled to do so. If you decide not to testify on your own behalf, the prosecuting attorney can make no remarks about your failure to testify and cannot imply to the jury that exercising your constitutional right to remain silent is any indication of your guilt. Your next option and second would be to stand silent and enter no plea at all. If you decide to do that, the court would enter a plea of not guilty for you and you would continue to maintain all of the rights I just explained to you. Your third option is that you may plead guilty to any or all of the charges. However, it's important that you understand if you were to plead guilty, you would automatically waive rights, including rights under the fourth fifth and sixth amendments to the Constitution, as well as similar rights contained in the Idaho Constitution. If you were to enter a guilty plea, then I would go through in more detail those rights you'd be waiving before that time. If I was advised, that's how you intended to plead today. It's very important that you understand all of these rights and options that I just explained to you. And so before I go further with your arraignment, do you have any questions regarding what I've just explained for me or anything you want to ask your attorney? Very well. Mrs. Davillon, you're brought before this court to answer for the indictment that was filed in this case, which is, alleges that you have committed serious crimes in that six felony charges have been filed in the grand jury's indictment. 
Before I allow you to respond by entering a plea to the charges in the indictment, I'll ask you a few questions. First of all, did you have any questions about your right and plea options in this case? All right, and have you seen a copy of that indictment and had it provided to you? And have you had enough time to review that indictment with your attorneys? Very well. At this time, I will review the charges contained in the indictment and the possible penalties for those charges. The indictment charges under count one, the charge of conspiracy to commit first degree murder and grand theft by deception, felony charges under Idaho code 18-1701, 18-4003A, 18-2403-1, 18-2403-4A, and 18-2407-1B3. Your Honor. Yes. We waive the reading if, if a summary is acceptable. Very well. Mr. Archibald, if you read that, I'm fine with that. So that is the count contained in the charges contained in count one, and that relates to a, a allegation of a conspiracy to commit murder in the first degree of Tylee Ryan and to commit grand theft by deception. I'll advise you, Mrs. Daybell, that the possible penalties associated with those charges are the conspiracy to commit first degree murder is punishable by death or imprisonment by life, imprisonment for life. And if the death penalty is not sought, a mandatory life sentence with a minimum period of confinement being 10 years, that's the possible penalty on the conspiracy to commit first degree murder charge. You understand that charge and the possible penalty there. Very well, the second part of that count is grand theft by deception. That's a felony that's punishable by a fine not exceeding $5,000 or by imprisonment in the state prison for not less than one year nor more than 14 years in which may also contain a restitution requirement. You understand that charge of felony grand theft. All right, the next count of the indictment alleges a charge of first degree murder and that is in relation to Tylee Ryan. That charge of first degree murder carries again the penalty of being punishable by death or imprisonment for life. And if the death penalty is not sought a mandatory life sentence with minimum period of confinement being 10 years, you understand the charge and the possible penalties in count two of the indictment. Okay. Count three is a charge of conspiracy to commit first degree murder and grand theft by deception. That is an allegation relating to an alleged murder in the first degree of Joshua Jackson Vallow, here and after referred to as J.J. Vallow. Again, that conspiracy to commit first degree murder, I've already indicated what the penalty is. It's the same as in the prior count. Do you have any questions about that charge or the possible penalty? Very well, the next part is grand theft by deception. And again, that is punishable by a fine not exceeding $5,000 and imprisonment in the state prison, not less than one year, no more than 14 years, and may contain a restitution requirement. Do you understand that part of count three as it relates to the charge of grand theft? All right, the next Count relating to you in the indictment is count four of the indictment, which is a count of first degree murder as it relates to J.J. Vallow. Under that count, again, the charge is punishable by death or imprisonment for life. And if the death penalty is not sought, a mandatory life sentence with a minimum period of confinement being 10 years. Do you understand the charge of count four and the possible penalties? Very well. Count five, then, is the next count alleged in the indictment relating to you. Count five is conspiracy to commit first-degree murder. That is in relation to Tamara Tammy Daybell. The conspiracy to commit first-degree murder charge in that count, again, carries a penalty of it may be punishable by death or imprisonment for life. And if the death penalty is not sought, a mandatory life sentence with a minimum period of confinement of at least 10 years. Do you understand the charge contained in count five and the possible penalties? All right, finally, I believe the last count 
in the indictment uh, filed against you is count seven. That is a count of grand theft. Grand theft is a felony in Idaho that's punishable, again, by a fine not exceeding $5,000 by imprisonment in the state prison, not less than one year, no more than 14 years, or and also may contain a restitution requirement. So do you understand the charge filed in count seven and the possible penalties? Very well. That summarizes then the charges contained in the indictment. At this time then, I'm going to go back through the charges and ask how to plead as to each charge. Before I take that plea then, do you have any questions for the court or anything you need to discuss with your attorneys? Your Honor, she intends to remain silent. I'll ask the court to enter and please for her and send the matter to trial. Very well, Mr. Archibald. Then that is her right to remain silent. The court, upon entry of that, will enter a not guilty plea as it relates to all of the counts alleged in the indictment against the defendant. That is on count one. A not guilty plea will be entered on count two. A not guilty plea is entered on count three. A not guilty plea is to be entered on count four. The not guilty plea will be entered and on count five and on count seven. Having entered those not guilty pleas then, Mr. Archibald, we'd like to discuss the setting of trial in this case. As I'm sure you're aware, there's a companion case that is already scheduled for a trial to start on January 9th. The court's made some previous rulings that apply to this case and were set in that case as well, indicating that these cases will be tried in a joint trial. In order to have your client uh, appear for that trial date, that would require her to go outside of the time frame for speedy trial. Have you discussed with your client her speedy trial rights and whether she intends to waive those to uh, have the trial as now set or, or what you plan on the trial setting? Yes, Your Honor, we have discussed it. Uh, she does not intend to waive her right to a speedy trial. All right, I'll note that the defendant's in custody. There is a statutory requirement under Idaho Code 1930-501, subsection 1, which does require that the matter be set for trial within six months if speedy trial is not waived. Uh, that would give a deadline of approximately October 19th for the trial to commence in this case. Counsel, with that in mind, in a prior trial setting already slated in the companion case for January, uh, I'm going to consult with counsel and discuss the setting of a trial in this case, um, making sure we can all confirm with our calendars when that can take place. I'll ask the state at this time, Ms. Blake, there's been a request in the other companion case for a trial of a duration of 10 weeks. And if this uh, matters to go forward with both defendants now, is the 10-week trial setting that has previously been scheduled uh, sufficient time to have the case tried? Yes, Your Honor. The state would be asking for 10 weeks. Okay. Uh, Mr. Archibald, having consulted with your client and reviewed the evidence, I think at this point, at least to some extent, as I'd note, the case has been stayed, but you've been appointed for some time. Do you believe that that 10-week trial setting is a sufficient amount of time? Yes, Your Honor. All right. All right. Well, with that in mind, then, counsel, uh, I'm going to review calendaring and we'll get a trial set within the speedy timeframe limits if your client's not going to waive that right. Uh, so we'll look at a setting that would likely occur in, in mid-October for trial in this case. Uh, does the state have anything they want to add or be heard on in terms of the trial setting, Ms. Blake? Your Honor, I think uh, with the request to have the trial held within 180 days, it sounds like this court is going to look at the court's calendar. I think the state's um, thought process would be we'll look at our calendar as well. Right now, there is a court order indicating these matters will be tried together, um, and there had been a severance motion which was denied in the companion case at this point. 
Um, but we will look at the state's calendar and request the opportunity to provide briefing to the court if the court um, would allow that with regard to whether or not a separate trial should be set. Okay, we will take that under advisement. It's a decision that obviously needs to be set uh, quickly, the trial setting with a limited time frame for us to make these arrangements for trial. Uh, and so I will contact counsel about calendaring, which we can do off the record and confirm dates for the commencement of a trial. Um, uh, the presumption be, being at this time that it would be a single trial together with both this case and the companion case of uh, State versus Chad Guy Daybell, KCR 22-21-16-23, um, to be tried together. But uh, if the state believes that's not the case based on the previous rulings, I'll consider that. However, uh, we'll set out a scheduling order, and I'll advise counsel that we'll need to have these dates sorted out by the end of this week because I'd like to get the matter on the calendar uh, so that we can start making arrangements for trial. And Your Honor, if I may just clarify, it is the state's belief that they are uh, to be tried together. I think when I was referring to the briefing, it was if we were going to, for any reason, set a separate trial date um, sooner than that January date, then we just request an opportunity to brief that issue. But it is the state's belief these are one matter for trial, just to clarify that. Okay, understood. And also, given the nature of that proceedings here, I think we have to have Mr. Pryor's input as well as potentially this will affect his currently scheduled case for trial. So that will, I believe, conclude what we need to cover today on the hearing for the arraignment. And I'll get together with counsel to determine trial dates, and then we'll get a scheduling order out once that's been confirmed. Mr. Archibald, is there anything else we need to bring up for the defense today? No, thank you. All right. Uh, Ms. Blake, anything further for the state? Your Honor, I think the only other thing the state had to mention today was the state has filed a motion for a joint status conference in the two case numbers. It sounds like we may be having one anyway when we're talking about setting trial dates, uh, so there may be no need to address that. We were just going to request a date be set on that matter since the council was here. Okay. I'll reach out to council and see if we can cover those issues you wanted to cover in a status conference when we do our scheduling. And uh, with that in mind, then, that will conclude the hearing today. I appreciate the uh, everyone's complying with the court's order as it relates to uh, maintaining demeanor in the courtroom this afternoon, and we'll be in recess. All rise. Well, yeah, there we have it. Yeah, so she chose not to speak. Interesting. Why? Like, just as an attitude? Like, I'm not acknowledging this? That's my thought. Because That's she did respond very... to the judge several times. She did. She spoke to the judge several times. She said yes, multiple times. She shook mm -hmm. her head. She nodded her head. She did engage. Uh, more than Chad does, honestly. Mm -hmm. But uh, when it came time to plead, she just chose to not respond. I think it's very interesting. It is. It's strange. I I don't fully understand the purpose of not just pleading not guilty, because obviously refusing to speak or you know choosing to stay silent is exactly that you know, the court enters a not guilty plea on your behalf. I mean, she's sitting flanked by her attorneys. Why could she not have done that? I, I'm not sure. I, it seems like such a show of arrogance, you know, yeah, not does. giving Kay and Larry sitting behind her uh, in, in tears, the uh, satisfaction of making that plea. I don't right. know. I, I, I think it's either. a very odd choice uh, not to be surprising, you know, where Lori's concerned and, mm -hmm. You know, I, I appreciated the camera person giving us so many great close-ups of her face. Mm -hmm. Her uh, face has definitely melted over the last two years. Yeah. Yeah, she's looking her age much more. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Much more. Uh, still quite emotionless, however, even when they yeah. said the names of her own dead children. Mm-hmm. Didn't really see a response there, which is chilling. Nope. It is chilling. Her whole demeanor, I think, is really chilling mm -hmm. to hear all of those charges. 
and have fact, no emotion at all. Yep. Yeah. That's yep. yeah. Very interesting oh. though that she is not weighing her right to a speedy trial, which I mean she's already been in jail for two years. You know, right. can you blame her? You know, no, but I can <laughs> I can actually like see the smoke coming out of John Pryor's house head oh. from my house. <laughs> He's gonna freak out about mm -hmm. speeding up this trial. Definitely. And and you know, the prosecution can be ready. They can be ready. They have lots of resources. They're on top of it. I, I feel like they're fine. You know, they don't want to. Oh. They wanted to string this out even longer than right. uh, January, but they'll be fine. Um prior I've yeah, he's Pryor's had all this it. time, you know, he's had, he all, had, this had all this time. He's had the grand jury stuff for a long time. Like, I mean, he, come on, man. <laughs> mm -hmm. Well, it's interesting because that means over the summer, we'll see some more jockeying back in court, you know, about various uh, procedural things. But also, this is going to be the time where if somebody's going to roll, they're going to roll. Mm -hmm. It is. Well, and we'll have to wait and see, um, is Archibald going to ask to fight the, uh, the joinder, you know, I mean, there, a lot right. of things were decided while she was in the hospital that her defense team has not had a chance to respond to. Right. And so are they just going to go with it as it is? Are they going to try to fight that? Are they going to try to fight the venue change? I mean, there's, this is a weird situation, but they could come back on all of those things. Mm -hmm. It's her right, just as much as it was Chad's right. And she just hasn't had a chance. So there was some indication that they wouldn't fight the venue change, that they would be fine with it being in Boise, that they were supporting that. Yeah. But now we have all this other stuff going on yeah. that they haven't been able to comment on. Mm -hmm. But I would think not waiving speedy trial, they're probably going to then not look at fighting stuff like that. They're looking mm -hmm. more toward the trial itself. Mm -hmm. if there is one yeah <laughs> yeah but that does mean that in the next six months that we're gonna know are is somebody gonna roll are they we're really gonna, gonna drag this whole thing clear through court yeah yeah well i think for the sake of the families and the community sort of better get this done yeah Yep, this was a very hard day for the Woodcocks, obviously. Mm -hmm. uh, Annie Cushing was in court today as well. Uh, she was. Kylie Sant. And, yep, just reliving this shit over and over and over for these guys has been excruciating. For their yeah. sake, this needs to get done. I ha kept having this thought, though, that in Lori's mind, she's thinking, yeah, I, I don't want to waive this. I want to get this done in six months so I can get out of here. <laughs> you know? Yikes. Mm-hmm. Well, I saw also that the some of the officers, the Madison County officers that were involved were there in court. Yeah, Hermesio was sitting right behind him. And uh, I can't remember the other officer's last name. <laughs> yep. Should know. Visited with both of them at a ball game recently, and I can't think of his name. Oh, Ball. Oh, Ball. Mm -hmm. Ron Ball. Yeah, we're both sitting there. Yeah, of course. They're going to, you know, they, they want to see every last drop of this. They do. The completion. The, mm -hmm. uh, you know, what the, uh, all of the detectives and officers went through in finding those kids. Huh. Yeah. Yeah. They want the justice. Yeah. They do. They definitely do. Well, we're getting closer. Yes, we are. We're getting closer. Yep. So there you have it. So mm -hmm. again, the hearing this morning or Tuesday morning is three and a half hours long. I believe East Idaho News has published it in its entirety. If you want to go watch the entire thing, that's probably where to find it. Uh, we're not <laughs> going to no. because it's just so long and boring. Well, it doesn't really accomplish anything. And it's the same arguments we've heard already. We already know mm -hmm. it's it's the cost difference. That's the yeah. big thing. You know, it's going to save, it would save about $210,000. Yeah to keep the trial in Fremont County and bring the jury in. So yeah. that's a big consideration. Mm -hmm. Regardless of what John Pryor says, it is a big consideration. It yeah. is. It, it is. And, you know, we all know John Pryor uh, lives in Caldwell. So he really, that's not very far. That's 30 minutes yeah. from Boise. So 
in, you know, rather than five hours. So he's got, you know, a personal stake in this. A huge one. Yes. Everybody else involved will be here. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, not quite everybody, but, you know, most of most mm-hmm. everybody. And, you know, that was a very good point mm-hmm. that Prosecutor Smith made about 104 witnesses. Yeah. 104 witnesses that have to travel that far, mm-hmm. you know. And stay for potentially multiple days. And, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Interesting, the time one of the arguments had been uh, doing this in January, that that would put everybody traveling on bad roads. And if this is really going to be moved to October, which it sounds like it probably will, that will probably not be the case, though this is Idaho. So that's not definitive, sort of the but it will likely the be the case. Yeah. Well, but if they start in October and go clear into November, we're talking about 10 weeks. Well, yeah, clear into December. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, it's still going to hit bad roads. Yeah, yeah. Crazy. So there you go. So interested to hear your thoughts. And of course, we'll just keep a finger on what's coming next. I would imagine the next thing we see are maybe some filings by Lori's attorneys because uh, they're making up for lost time. Mm -hmm. And of course, uh, definitely we're going to be seeing a ruling from the judge on that uh, within the next few weeks. So with the change of venue. Yeah, well, and we'll also be seeing something about setting trial date and if they yes. are going to move it to October and how that's all going to work. So we'll be seeing yep. a, a hearing on that as well, I'm sure. Yep. That's it. All righty. Well, it is Wednesday. So we'll be back tonight with case updates. We'll be back tomorrow night, Thursday night with the psychic hours. So we still have lots more great content to come this week. So yeah. thank you for being here. Like, share, subscribe. You know the ropes. Thanks so much, you guys. Have a wonderful day. Do something good for yourself today, please. You deserve it. Take care. Bye, everybody.